Ladies and gentlemen, stoners and growers, welcome to a midnight rendezvous like no other. I'm your host, Socrates Grows, broadcasting from a server in the heart of America. Join me on an extraordinary journey through the lush foliage of my autoflower garden to learn how to grow your own fire at home. This is Autoflower Power, the podcast that takes you deep into the hidden realms of the horticultural marvels that we call autoflowers. Welcome to the second full episode of the Autoflower Power Podcast. In this episode, the wheels hit the road and we'll be going into the weeds about managing your environment to maximize growth. Throughout this episode, we're going to want to think about things kind of on a scale. Uh, We'll be talking about a few different factors. And what we're trying to do is hit the Goldilocks zone, which is the perfect kind of in-between of too hot, too cold, too moist, too dry, too light, too dark, etc., etc. And that's just going to be something we're going to keep in mind. So let's take this back to high school science for a minute and talk about photosynthesis. That is the way plants grow, and that is what we're trying to dial into uh, to maximize photosynthesis on these plants. What photosynthesis is, is it's taking the light uh, that is above it, typically the sun or our grow lights if we're doing indoor. It is taking that, it is using a chemical inside the leaves, which turns it green, called chlorophyll, to process water and carbon dioxide to create oxygen and glucose. What this does is this feeds the plant, it's energy for the plant, and the plant can grow bigger and bigger. So the more photosynthesis we could have, the greater and greater the plant's growth potentially could be. Now, what are the limiting factors for uh, photosynthesis? The first one is light. Below a certain point, you limit your growth. Above a certain point, you're going to need to start adding in additional CO2 Or even above that, you're going to be burning your plants. Uh, Too much light makes the baby go blind. The second limiting factor is CO2. This uh, works up to the limit of photosynthesis. And today we won't be covering CO2 because this is a bit more of a complicated uh, thing to actually apply inside your grow tent. Uh, There's definitely ways to do it, and we'll cover it in the future. I hope to learn more about it myself. This is not something I'm currently doing um, just because my tent isn't huge and I haven't had any issues yet. I'm sure there's going to be a point where I'm going to want to ramp up the amount of light that I'm going to give these plants. And when I do that, that's when I'm going to need to uh, add supplemental CO2. The last limiting factor that we're going to discuss today, and I think it's maybe... uh, The one point that I really learned uh, that really kind of pushed me forward is uh, vapor pressure deficit, or VPD as it's often called. Uh, Below a certain point, and you aren't allowing maximum synthesis, and above a certain point, it's the same type of deal. VPD is a Goldilocks uh, thing. You really need to kind of follow a chart That's the easiest way to do it, or a calculator, which you could find online. I'm going to link to the chart that I follow in the uh, show notes and on the website, SocratesGrows.com, so you can check that out. So, all right, let's get into it. We're going to start off with light. All right, for light, there's not too much to really worry about here. Uh, The first thing that you're going to take into account is your spectrum, your light spectrum. That is the range of uh, temperatures 
which is basically on the visible spectrum of light. There's the uh, cooler end and the warmer end. Your plant needs both of these. Uh, it used to be that you would give them uh, more blue light to get vegetative growth and more red light to get uh, more flowering. You can actually still see uh, some blurple lights, as they call them, where you can kind of switch between the two for the two different stages. I do not recommend these. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I think the easiest for a home grower are going to be full spectrum LEDs. These aren't particularly expensive. You can find a wide variety of LED boards or bars available, depending on what your price range is. Look for ones that have uh, some type of adjustment on uh, the amount of light that it's putting out. That does help a tremendous amount. We'll talk about that into just a second. When picking a light, uh, if you're just starting out or if you're trying to upgrade your tent, uh, you can look at wattage. That's one way that you can tell how much light you're going to be able to put out. Another is when you're looking at these sales pages, whether it's like Amazon or a grocery store, any of these pages, uh, they're going to have specs on there that'll tell you what size it's going to cover in both veg and flower. Make sure that whatever you're getting is going to cover your flower space, unless you're going to want to, for some reason, switch out to a different light. Uh, you definitely want one lamp that's going to be able to cover both uh, stages of growth. That's important. So the way that we're going to dial in the light, and I think this is uh, pretty key here, is you're going to look at the daily light intake. This is a limiting factor. If you are under the daily light intake, which is the amount of light that an autoflower or any plant is allowed to uh, take in throughout the course of a 24-hour period, you will get a smaller plant. If it's over, uh, some plants are robust enough to take extra light every day, um, but there's also a chance that you're going to get light burn. Since these are autoflowers, you're going to want to take into account also that you're not going to be going down to necessarily a 12-12 time period. So if you're looking at some type of daily light intake calculator, which we'll talk about in just a second, you have to uh, factor in that you're going to be running, you know, 18 hours or 20 hours on, sometimes 24 hours on, depending what the situation is. So that does factor in, and it really helps when you're trying to figure out, well, on a 24-hour light cycle, how much light can these plants actually take in? So how are we going to figure out how much light these plants can take in? Well, it's pretty easy. I provided a graph below uh, in the show notes or on SocratesGrows.com. It's easy to read. Um you will see that it is uh, kind of goes through the vegetative, the seedling, vegetative, and flower stage. Kind of use that as a rough estimation. Um, the weeks aren't going to be exact, so you're going to want to, you know, cut down when it's time to cut down. Maybe a little bit earlier. Just watch your plants. That's always the rule: is you're going to watch your plants. The chart below is for 16 to 24 hours, so it's perfect for autoflowers. So, how do we measure the light to figure out the daily light intake? Well, there's two ways. You can get yourself a nice PAR meter. All right, I just came back from a little uh, online shopping. It seems like to get yourself a PAR meter, it's going to be something in the neighborhood of about, uh, this is 2023 July prices, so don't hold me to this, uh, $300 to five or $600 for a nicer one. So that is an option if you have the money, and it's definitely going to be the most accurate. 
Another option that you can try, and I actually really like this option, I've been using it pretty successfully for a couple of runs now, is an app on the App Store called the Photone app, P-H-O-T-O-N-E. There will be a link in the show notes. I don't have any affiliation with them. I just think it's a cool idea. Basically what it is, is it's an app that uses your selfie camera to read the par of the any light. You do have to buy uh, an unlock for the full spectrum LED thing. I think it's maybe six bucks, which clearly is a lot cheaper than a real par meter. Uh, it's probably not as accurate, um, but I have seen some online videos where they're pretty close and uh, it's probably close enough for rock and roll for us home growers. And it's definitely going to help us keep an eye on our par and give us at least an idea, kind of tracking, making sure where it is. The one caveat to the Photone app is you need to get a particular type of white paper. Uh, it's to make a diffuser around the selfie camera. It helps uh, calibrate it, I guess. Um, so that is one kind of hang up because you can't just go buy that at Target. I did find it on walmart.com for the cheapest price. So that's what I would recommend checking out if you are in the market for paper for your Photone app. So check out the daily light intake chart and uh, check out that Photone app. And I think that's going to help you really dial in uh, the way that you're handling your lights from raising them to lowering them uh, physically and also uh, using a, a dial to lower and raise the wattage that's going through those. All right, now we're going to get to some of the meat and potatoes of this episode. I want to talk to you about VPD or the vapor pressure deficit. The vapor pressure deficit is uh, basically an easy way to think of it is the intersection of the temperature and the relative humidity in the tent. So that's the uh, temperature of the air in the tent and how much moisture content there is, whether it's dry or hot. So using these two together, we can uh, kind of manipulate the plant to want to grow more. There's, um, again, a beautiful chart. Uh, I mentioned this before, check it out on SocratesGrows.com that shows you exactly where the range is. It does matter as far as the seedling stage, the early veg stage, veg, and then into flower. You do kind of adjust where these are. You'll see it very easily on the chart and it really helps. I'm telling you, this is so much bang for your buck if you could nail this down. And there's a lot of ways to nail this down. So why does this work? Well, Basically, uh, the VPD opens what's called the stomata of the plant's uh, leaves. The stomata are tiny pores on the leaves, and they open to allow transpiration. So this allows water to come out of the plant and CO2 into the plant to allow more photosynthesis. Uh, the inbound CO2 helps maximize the ability for photosynthesis, and the outbound water is replaced through taking it up through capillary action from the medium below, which is where you're feeding, and it also takes up nutrients with it. So basically think, every, the more that the thing is transpiring, every time your plant transpires, it's going to pull more water. That is going to produce uh, more energy. It's going to take up more nutrients. The carbon dioxide coming into the plant is going to promote more photosynthesis, and you're just going to get more growth overall. So that's why uh, fast-growing, vigorous plants take up a lot of water at the end of the veg stage and the beginning of flower. So VPD is a lot like being comfortable when you're going out and running or exercising outdoor on a hot, humid day or a cold, dry day. It's just uh, 
it's more difficult. You want to make it as easy on these plants as you can to just grow and grow and grow. So we're going to use VPD and the VPD chart to dial that in. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about before we get exactly into how to uh, manage the temperature and the humidity is the idea of a lung room. Uh, I heard about this for a while and I didn't totally understand it, but all the lung room is, is the room in which your tents are situated. So if you're say in a basement, in a large basement, the large basement is your lung room. If you're in a closet and there's a tent inside the closet, the closet is your lung room. So this is just the idea that there is air that you can manipulate outside of your tent or your garden or whatever you want to call it. And uh, that's called a lung room. All right, we're going to start with temperature. Uh, if you haven't yet, try to pull up the VPD chart on SocratesGrows.com or just pull anyone up off of Google or DuckDuckGo preferably and take a look at uh, kind of how it works. It's sort of a sliding scale where the warmer that the room gets at any stage of growth, the higher the relative humidity should be. So one of the limiting factors is going to be your temperature. There's certain times of the year where you just can't control it. It's too dang hot where you can't make that lung room any cooler. Even if you got an AC in there, sometimes you can't have an AC. So you're going to have to kind of calibrate to your temperature. So how are we going to monitor our temperature? We can use uh, something as simple as a thermometer. Just throw a little thermometer in there. You can get one for like $5, even cheaper probably. Uh, or you can get one of those thermometer and RH monitor setups. They've got Wi-Fi ones that are great. You can just look it up on your phone. Another option that you can get is a thermostat. And that, what that's going to do is that's actually going to automate your temperature. It's going to give you an upper range and a lower range, just like the thermostat in your house. It's going to make sure that if you've got something to cool your air down, that when it reaches a certain temperature, it's going to kick that thing on. And if you go below a certain temperature, if you got a heater in there, you're going to be able to kick that temperature up. So let's say you did go with the thermostat and you've got a tent. Uh, one thing that you can do to get the heat up in winter, uh, and I've definitely stunted some plants back in the day by not having a heater in the Arctic cold up here in America, uh, is you could get a small desk heater. It's like a small space heater. They're tiny. Um, I got the one from Amazon. It's like a little ceramic heater. It's got like a little safety mechanism in case it turns over. It's on some legs. So if there's a little bit of water, hopefully it's not a major issue. I'd like to get that thing kind of up on a shelf in the tent if possible. By the way, be safe with all this stuff. We're talking about water and electronics, everything we're doing in the grow room. Just be safe. Use common sense. Another option you can use to raise the temperature is to put a larger heater, like a, a room heater, in your lung room. I've had some luck with this in the past, just uh, making the um, ambient temperature of the room warmer outside of the tent will raise the temperature of the plants inside. Depending on the type of light, one other thing that you could do is you could just turn up your lights, raise them up a little bit and raise up the, the wattage on those things. And that's going to possibly heat up your room. LEDs, it's not going to get crazy hot. You might get a, ten, you know, a degree or two, depending on the situation. But uh, that's not going to make a major factor. I would definitely try to get a larger heater for the lung room or a tiny heater for um, inside your tent. Uh, be safe, be safe, be safe. 
All right, next up is uh, using an inline fan. Uh, you can crank that thing up, and that is going to take out some of that hot air. So the more air that's circulating from the outside of the tent to the inside of the tent and then back out, the cooler the air is going to be because most likely the outside air in the lung room is going to be cooler than the uh, air inside the tent just because the lights and the plants and the humidity you've got a decent chance using an inline fan depending how hot it is in there uh, worst case scenario you can uh, find some kind of air conditioning unit to either put in the lung room or if you can find something small enough or if your gross space is large enough you can put a, a ac unit directly in the grow room and just have it vent out you know uh dispelling the water somewhere else so those are all options on managing your temperature all right next up is humidity uh this is always an interesting one depending where you are in the country some people cannot get their humidity up high enough some can't get theirs low enough depending on the time of the year again check out the vpd chart to see exactly what type of humidity you should be reaching for uh, compared to the temperature in your tent. To monitor humidity, you can use a hygrometer. These can be super cheap. Again, you can get a combo with a thermometer and put it on Wi-Fi. Or if you want to control it and automate it, uh, just like the thermostat, what a thermostat is for uh, humidity is called a humidistat. You can find these online. Um, Inkbird makes a good thermostat and humidistat. I think you could buy them together. They're not crazy expensive. And all that you do is you put the probes inside your tent at canopy height. That's important because we are thinking about what the leaves are getting uh, as far as the relative humidity and the temperature. So keep it at canopy height with your uh, probes. And then there's um, a display which shows you, you know, where you can control the thing and what the current temperature or humidity are and two outlets where you can put in whatever you're trying to control. So to increase your humidity, obviously you're gonna to wanna to get a humidifier. Uh, you can get a large humidifier that goes outside of your tent in the lung room and raises the uh, intake air that your tent will be pulling through the inline fan. Or you can get yourself a humidifier that fits inside your tent. If you could get a big humidifier inside your tent, you're gonna save yourself a lot of hassle filling that thing back up if you're in a very dry environment. So I'd recommend getting the biggest humidifier that can fit in your tent that you can control with a humidistat. Now, if you want to uh, lower your humidity, there's a couple ways. I found this to be one of the more challenging parts of uh, growing in my climate is to make sure that I have a low enough uh, humidity, especially when I'm in summertime and in the flower stage. So a couple things that I do is I increase the speed of my inline fan. That's gonna pull humidity out of the tent and pump it back into the room. So that's one thing, but I found that that doesn't quite uh, do the trick all the time. So what I'm always using is a dehumidifier. You can get a big dehumidifier in the lung room and raise, you know, the same thing is on the temperature and the raising the humidity. You just wanna lower the ambient humidity so that whatever's being sucked into the tent is lower. If you can do that, that's great. Um, you can run a humidifier through a hose into your sump pump if you're in a basement or a sink if you're somewhere near a washroom. That's one way to keep it running consistently without having to go down and drain it constantly. Uh, what I would recommend, if at all possible, is to figure out a way to get a dehumidifier in your tent, whether that means you've got to 
kind of uh, crack open the bottom flaps of that tent or get a bigger tent and fit it in there, it makes a big difference to uh, the humidity of the room to have the humidifier directly pulling air from inside your garden. All right, last but not least, I do want to talk about air circulation. Uh, while this isn't what I would consider a limiting factor, it certainly does provide a, another possibility to dial in your tent and get better quality product at the end of your run. We've already touched briefly on inline fans. Uh, the idea, really what you're trying to do, other than just manipulate your environment by kicking out temperature and relative humidity, is you are replacing the air from the outside and bringing in nice, cool, CO2-rich air into your tent from your lung room. That's important. Your plants want fresh air. They don't want to sit in stale uh, environments where the air has just been sitting around and cooking. So getting fresh air in there is important. When shopping for uh, an inline fan, make sure that the CFM rating, which is the cubic feet per minute, that the fan will uh, move is adequate for your setup, both for your tent size and if you're going to be using a filter and if you're going to have any sort of piping to get the air out from the fan. Uh, That's kind of the most important factor as far as looking at different uh, inline fans. All right, last but not least, I want to talk about oscillating fans. These are the fans that you put on the posts inside your tent. Uh, These kind of replace wind if you're growing outside. Um, Basically, these these are circular fans and they circulate the air. Um, The oscillating ones are great because they help move air a little bit more equally and they make sure there's no dead zones. Uh, They promote stronger plants. Uh, Every bit of resistance that the plant gets without breaking is going to make the plant stronger. But that said, you don't want your plants like blowing around like it's a tropical hurricane or they're in the middle of a supercell. You want to make sure that there's just a gentle breeze on the leaves and nothing crazy. That's enough to make sure your plants are going to be strong and healthy. And that's also going to help prevent mold in the flowering stage. So definitely make sure that you got air moving around. Once the flowers are there, you need to make sure that your humidity is down and that your air is moving. So the circular fans are amazing. All right. I just want to finish up with some tools uh, that you can go out and take a look at if you're just starting up to kind of make these things easy. I would start off um, if you don't have any kind of uh, light monitoring with that Photone app. By the way, none of this stuff is sponsored. Um, I use all this stuff. I think it's great. So just uh, putting that out there. I think this is good stuff if you're just starting or if you're replacing gear. Uh, My experience, your mileage may vary. So the Photone app, again, uh, I think that's a cool app. Make sure you got the right white paper. I got mine cheapest on walmart.com. I hate saying that, but it's true. As far as a humidistat or a thermostat, the Inkbird is good. I've used that on both drying runs and for second tents. But what I would really recommend is the AC Infinity Controller 69 along with the inline fan and the oscillating fan. These are just great products. They're relatively inexpensive and I found them to be superior uh, build quality and technology wise to basically anything else I've tried. Um, I'm happy to change my mind, but for now, the AC Infinity stuff is just really good for the price. It's a great trade-off, so I would definitely look at that if you're just getting into this. If you're looking for a manual setup where it's just hands-off, just go on uh, Amazon, get one of those Wi-Fi thermostat and hydrometers, and just have it beam to your phone so you don't have to go down and check it all the time. 
you're going to be down there anyway, so it's not really a concern. Uh, but if you want to do it that way and control everything manually as far as your airspeed and your humidity, that's a great easy way. And you really learn a lot by being totally hands-on and following it and trying to track it. Um, again, those also uh, typically along with the AC Infinity ones, when you can monitor it, you can often get charts that kind of show you throughout the cycle, you know, oh, does the humidity go up or down during, uh, you know, lights out? Does the, you know, what does the temperature do? Am I going to have to use more heat, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a great learning tool. Um, all right. As far as a heater goes, in my experience, I've had pretty good luck with the Amazon Basics 500 watt ceramic small space personal mini heater inside the tent. This has worked well, and I've made very, very sure that there's nothing touching it. There's nothing near it, as a matter of fact, and there's certainly no water going anywhere near that thing uh, at any time. So it's totally separate, and I try to make sure that thing is safe all the time. Last but not least is a humidifier. AC Infinity does have a humidifier out. It looks awesome. Uh, when I went to go get my last humidifier, it was uh, not available. I don't know if it was sold out or just not on sale yet. So I wound up getting a uh, reptile fogger, which is basically looks exactly like the AC Infinity uh, humidifier unit. So I would definitely check out that AC Infinity unit if I was buying a new um, humidifier or if you have a uh, spare reptile fogger, I suppose that would be another great option. And with that, those are my thoughts on environment. Uh, we've covered light and monitoring it. We have not covered CO2, but let's put a little dog ear there and come back to that eventually. We've discussed VPD, why it's important, how to figure out where you need to be at the different stages of growth, and also how to manipulate the factors that create VPD. And lastly, we've talked about air circulation. I think this covers most of the bases except for... Uh, pretty much nutrients, genetics, medium, training, and so on and so on and so forth. So we got a lot more to talk about on future episodes. But for today, I hope you've taken something good away from this that you can apply directly to your garden today. Uh, and I hope that this will help you create bigger, more vigorous monster giant plants. Make sure to check out the show notes at socratesgrows.com slash environment. You'll find everything you need and some notes from this episode there. And until next time, take it easy. Bye.